welcome to the Actually Autistic Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Onstall. Today I'm going to talk about strategies for dealing with autistic chronic fatigue. I want to be clear at the start here that I have no idea what causes chronic fatigue syndrome, also called CFS. CFS may have multiple underlying causes. We don't know. However, the symptoms do seem to be shared in a similar way by multiple people. My working hypothesis is that it seems like a different condition in autistics for the same reason that everything else seems different in autistics. It's because allistics and autistics are wired differently. Chronic fatigue syndrome can have many different triggers, meaning that a bad onset of symptoms, often called a crash, can be set off by a wide variety of substances or events. Triggers can be physical or emotional, but that doesn't mean that psychological counseling will cure chronic fatigue syndrome. What it means is that strong emotions, even if they are happy ones, seem to require a lot of energy to process and can affect energy levels for days or weeks later. What actually causes chronic fatigue syndrome could be several things, but the more you look at it, the more wide-ranging the causes seem to be, and we still don't know if some of the things that appear to be a cause, like post-viral syndrome, are actually a trigger. Chronic fatigue syndrome has been largely ignored, but nonetheless, a body of literature has built up around it about ways to mitigate it, and I'm going to cover some of those today, especially as they relate to autistics. I recognize that not everyone is in a position in their lives to employ some or any of these strategies immediately. For many of us, these are changes that we implement gradually as we are able to. That's certainly what I had to do. I'm going to start with the environment. We already know that autistics often have sensory sensitivities that can cause discomfort. So creating a space that is comfortable from a sensory point of view is important. Typical needs are natural lighting with an option to make the room dark. Quiet spaces or soothing sounds are very important. Some people with burnout need a completely dark room without even music or an audiobook in order to recover. Others need to have a white noise machine going on all the time. Whatever you feel you need at the time is what you should have. Keep in mind, too, that what you need may change. One day you may be fine with watching a show, but the next day you might only be able to listen to nature sounds, or nothing at all. The way your space looks is important, too. I can get tired just looking at clutter, but... That makes it hard when you are too tired to do anything about it, especially if it is stuff that needs sorting, or there is nowhere to put it, or it is somebody else's mess. This is an ongoing struggle for me. I address what strategies have worked for me in the episode about body care and housework on the April 15th, 2022 episode. I began to see some improvement when I learned about histamine intolerance and made lifestyle changes based on that theory. Today I'm quoting from the histamineintolerance.org.uk website. That's h-i-s-t-a-m-i-n-e-i-n-t-o-l-e-r-a-n-c-e dot o-r-g dot u-k website. Begin quote. What is histamine intolerance? 
The symptoms of histamine intolerance, HIT, are caused by the inability of the body to break down histamine sufficiently. This is because of the reduced activity or presence of an enzyme called diamine oxidase, DAO for short, which is mainly responsible for breaking down histamine and other biogenic amines ingested through food. Foods that are known culprits include red wine, ready meals, cured meats, older cheeses, tomatoes, and aubergines. Aubergines are eggplants, for those of us in the U.S. End quote. This website has a page entitled The Food List that goes into more detail about foods that may trigger an inappropriate histamine response. By going through a four-week food elimination process, I was able to completely eliminate the migraines that I was getting almost daily, and it drastically cut down on the brain fog. For me, the key was eliminating all-aged cheeses, chocolate, alcohol, vinegar, and tomatoes. I know that sounds bleak, but a histamine intolerant diet does allow for grains, honey, onions, garlic, bread, potatoes, fruit, lots of vegetables, all kinds of delicious things. What works for each person is going to be unique to them, but some foods, such as aged cheeses, do seem to cause flare-ups in most people dealing with a histamine intolerance. Now, I'm already a vegetarian, so I didn't need to eliminate aged meat products. It was rough giving up the chocolate, but it was worth it to be able to write, draw, and podcast again. I think it's important to mention, too, that as we age, we can develop more triggers. What I could do at 40 or even 50 is no longer what I can do in my 60s. There are supplements for histamine intolerance. My personal favorites are freeze-dried nettle capsules. I take one in the morning and more throughout the day as needed. It has to be freeze-dried. Nettle tea won't do the same thing. There is also a supplement called NatureDAO, spelled N-A-T-U-R-D-A-O, that helps many people. But it's a tad pricey and I didn't notice a dramatic difference, so I stopped using it. It's important to note that this is just for histamine intolerance that comes from eating things. Some people take quercetin, Q-U-E-R-C-I-T-I-N, but again, results are mixed. Some people it helps, and some people it doesn't. Complicating the issue is that sometimes there can be another ingredient included that you might have a reaction to. In my case, the quercetin supplement I was taking had bromelain in it. That's B-R-O-M-E-L-A-I-N. And if you are allergic to pineapple, as I am, then you may not react well to bromelain. So you can see that this gets complicated. I ended up drinking buckwheat tea for the quercetin instead. Sometimes it's called soba tea, S-O-B-A. I like the flavor, and it's not making me feel bad, and it may be helping. The frustrating thing is that there is no roadmap. You have to make the map up as you go. Sometimes people take steroids or antihistamines. I have avoided these because the side effects were more difficult than the symptoms once I had eliminated the migraines. There are several apps you can get to keep track of your diet and symptoms. I am currently using one called Bearable, B-E-A-R-A-B-L-E, that doesn't go into a lot of dietary detail. There are apps that will tell you if what you are eating is a histamine intolerant trigger 
but I haven't tried one of those yet. The one I use does let me keep track of what I eat, what supplements and meds I took, how much energy I had, etc. Other triggers for histamine intolerance can be environmental. As I aged, I became allergic to pollens and dust. This has forced me to become a better housekeeper and to put HEPA filters in every room. Again, I made these changes gradually because I had to. I have limited energy and finances, so it's a constant but gradual effort to remove triggers and improve my living space. So histamine intolerance is one aspect that can be helpful to look into. If you have determined that you have POTS, or postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, then there are other supplements and accommodations specific to POTS. I went over POTS in yesterday's episode, so you may want to have a listen to that if you haven't already. Commonly recommended for POTS is increasing water and salt intake along with electrolytes and magnesium with vitamin C. I already drink a lot of water and eat a lot of salt, so I am probably already getting the maximum benefits of those, and I just recently started on electrolytes and can't say yet if they have made a difference, but many people with POTS have found them helpful. There are also drugs which can provide relief, but they must be prescribed, and I don't currently have access to a doctor who can do that for me, so I can't report on those. But, like everything else, these drug therapies help some people, but not others, and it's a process of trial and error. As I mentioned in another episode, there are a few woo-woo type regimens that promise to cure POTS. I have not met anyone in the POTS community that said that those helped them, so I would avoid those. Pacing, meaning taking small breaks when doing an activity, is essential. Keeping your feet up as much as possible is vital. Even sitting up in bed can be too much sometimes. Exercise is dangerous for people with chronic fatigue and or POTS. Even graduated exercise is contraindicated, although it used to be recommended, it is no longer. This is another difficulty in getting treated for chronic fatigue, also called myelagic encephalitis. What literature that is out there is often out of date, and it can be difficult to get a healthcare provider to take enough of an interest to look into it. As I noted in an earlier episode, POTS is a common, long-term symptom of people who have been infected with COVID. You can get POTS after COVID, regardless of whether or not you had any other symptoms or if you were vaccinated. So please, Try to avoid catching it by wearing a quality 95% filtration mask or better in all public spaces at all times. But the fact that millions of people are now developing myelagic encephalitis, chronic fatigue, and POTS is bringing a lot of attention to this long-neglected disability, and I am hopeful that we will be learning much more about it in the near future. Now, there's a number of related conditions that I have not mentioned, such as mast cell activation syndrome, or MCAS, M-C-A-S. But that's not something that I've had a lot of opportunity to look into, because in part, it's not something that I seem to be currently dealing with. Although I could be wrong, who the heck knows? Or maybe, maybe that will happen to me too. I don't know. In any event, I don't have a lot of information that I can bring to that discussion, so I have not brought it up here, but there are wonderful 
MCAS communities out there and they intersect with the disability community and the POTS community and the myelagic encephalitis, chronic fatigue community, and the autistic burnout community. So if you find people in those communities, and again, I recommend Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, wherever you feel comfortable, whichever spaces you feel comfortable navigating, you can find people from those communities that can give you a lot of information and point you to some good references and sometimes even some practitioners that can help you deal with it. Here's my comforting words of the day. If you are tired, you are not imagining it. If you need to rest, it's because you need to rest. You can and should trust yourself enough to lie down when you need to. If you decide to make dietary changes, you can do that too. Even if it takes months to change your lifestyle, it will make a big difference in the long run. You can do it. Now, here is your joke of the day. To be clear, I do not write these. I stole them fair and square from anonymous lists on the internet. What do you call a dog magician? A labracadabrador. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with me on this mini episode of the Actually Autistic Podcast. If you are interested in hearing more of my content and like Shakespeare, then you are in luck. I have two podcasts, one called There Will Be Body, and another one called The Twelfth Night Podcast by Rose City Shakespeare. I wrote a book called A Midsummer Night's Dream Illustrated Handbook and Encyclopedia, and I'm also on a role-playing game podcast called Shattered Worlds RPG. I'll be back tomorrow. Thank you for being actually autistic.